It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome, listener. Join us for this Clear Path to Success professional development podcast. Welcome to the Clear Path to Success podcast for business development. This is a podcast where we intend to inform and educate you and to help you navigate the challenges of your practice by hearing about the successes and challenges of your peers. I am your host, Robert Yakos, a practitioner and a business owner. Today we have a great episode coming up. This is my first interview and I wanted to make the first one a great one. And I know this guest has lots of pearls to help you in your practice. I would like to introduce Dr. Eric Shirell, an acupuncturist, an herbalist, and a business owner from Georgia. He has had an extremely impressive career to date. He is a U.S. Army vet. He has worked in an integrative military clinic and has worked in numerous settings, only to open his own private clinic three years ago. Dr. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? It's good to have you. It's great to have you here. It's great to talk again, man. So let's get right into it, uh, if you will. Um, you know, you heard my intro, and I, I wanted to hear from your side if you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Something that I didn't say in the intro about you, your practice, family, um, personal okay. life. Personal life. Okay, so I'll just make it. I'll just start kind of at the beginning. Um, so when I was, uh, how did I get it? So I guess I'll start with how I got into this field. Um, I was in the Army. Before I joined the Army, I threw hiked the Appalachian Trail from Georgia up to Maine. Um, when the Army was a paratrooper, got all beat up there, got out, and really wanted to get into martial arts. I was going to Virginia Tech to finish off my bachelor's degree, and um, I'd take road trips up there on the weekends to see my brother, and uh, fell in love with the place. So I was like, yeah, I'm going here. Let's finish off the degree, get that bachelor's. It only been like eight years, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and what happened was, is I got into, mar- I found a martial arts school I really dug. And it turned out that the teachers did Chinese medicine. So I got into the field through that. Um, you know, work, had a career in the tech field during the bubble and all that good jazz. And uh, decided to move into this and go to school like um, imagine a lot of our listeners did. Some way, shape, or form led them to acupuncture college. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in, one of my teachers, Whitfield Reeves, he, uh, he kept stressing that we needed to specialize in something. Specialize in something. Be a specialist. And he was a sports medicine guy. Um, so I kept like digging in the digging deep and trying to figure out what I was going to specialize in. Mm-hmm. I never could figure anything out while I was in school. And then um, towards the end of school, I realized, uh, I think I watched a movie called ER Baghdad or something like that. And it was showing like real life situations in the ER in wartime. And I said, oh, well, I'm a veteran. <laughs> I'm a disabled mm-hmm. veteran. I don't know. We're good vets. <laughs> and so I really wanted to, I really wanted to work in the military, actually, um, like get back in, not like actually join the military, but like the civilian side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kept hunting around and making phone calls and this or that. We moved out to Virginia, um, a lot of military out there. Never could really get my foot in, realized that the doors were kind of closed. Um, then a few years later, we'd moved back to Colorado. and. Um, 
the opportunity arose and they started opening jobs in the military. Not many, there was probably eight or 10 of them. Uh, but I ended up long story short, getting a couple of them and chose one out on the East coast, moved out here. And that's why we're in Georgia. Um, so during that whole time frame though, I had two failed clinics, you know, <laughs> a bankruptcy because of it. And really was like, okay, this is my last raw. I'm doing this army job. And if this fails, I'm never doing acupuncture again. I'm never starting a business again. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I was just done, man, you know. And this so, was how many years into practice at this point? Oh, let's see. That was 2012, 20, uh, 2012. So eight, eight, eight years, five, eight years, or four to five years, excuse me, four to five years. So 2008 to 12. So about five years. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, yeah, I found the job. I'm going to do this the rest of my life. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, we started having more kids, so the expenses went up, but my job pay wasn't really going up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, about that time, um, a lot of uh, the Facebook group stuff started popping off back early 17 and uh, started realizing, wow, there's a lot of successful people out there. Um, and so, uh, you know, I realized, I, t- I, t- I decided early t- uh, 27, 2017, so I was still working at the army. I decided, okay, I'm going to figure a path out of here. I'm going to give myself one year. Mm-hmm. So I was going to leave in February, 2018. Funny thing <laughs> is things happened so quickly. We left the end of September in 2017. So we left like basically six months early because the opportunity was there. Um, mm. But yeah, it was, uh, is um, so that's been my, that's my general path so far. A little different than some people's, but um yeah, I, I think that it, it's pretty amazing. At any point of that time, you mentioned that that you said at one point I closed two clinics. You filed for bankruptcy. Yeah, but you still persevered. Oh, that right? was an awesome time. That that day when I filed bankruptcy, I don't know if anybody's been to bankruptcy court. I'm sure somebody else, somebody out there has that's listening to this. But I went there. <laughs> my wife went to work. I went in a suit. Um, sat there with all the other people that had failed mm-hmm. <laughs> share your stuff in front of them. Like, in, you know, and this was in Denver, we did it. And then the guys like wrote it all off. And then I went literally drove my car straight to the clinic and treated a person. So mm-hmm. a patient. So it was, uh, it was kind of like, well, that was surreal. It didn't really hit me for, for a while, how impacting it was negative towards mm-hmm. me though, in my view towards like money and business and everything until I couldn't get credit. I couldn't, you know, I could, I was like, man, this is like, this is really like, this is the lowest you can go, man. Yeah. <laughs> so was that the lowest? I mean, uh, at that point you, you had a family, you were married, you had kids, right? Mm-hmm. And then you we filed. Did not have kids yet. Oh, you didn't have, kids. didn't have kids? No. Where so, were you with your headspace as far as that? I, I mean, I can only imagine that that was, you were ready to, you know, file for bankruptcy. Now, yeah. Where were, so, where were you emotionally at that point? So the bankruptcy went through. I was still running a, a small little clinic in Denver. Um, I wouldn't even really call it a clinic. It was, there was so much competition, and I just didn't have any money to build a business. So it was really tough. We'd moved out there. Anyways, long story short, um, we found out we were pregnant around March. And I think that's when I was like, and the bankruptcy went through like, you know, February or something like that. So... I think that's when I realized like, Oh crap, I need to get off my ass, man. Like I got to really do something here. I got to step it up a level. Um, you know, so that's when 
the army jobs present themselves and they were a godsend for us. I mean, without them, we wouldn't have been able to make the money to, to survive. We just had one kid that, you know, uh, so 20, 20, end of 2012, he was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like severely, I would say that um, that's the thing that motivated me. I had to have something outside of me motivate me because I just, I was just broken down, man. Yeah. You know, from the, from the failing. So, and, and so having your, your first one on the way, Mm-hmm. at that point you said i gotta get serious here oh yeah yeah i started running i started like i started doing 5ks like i started getting in shape like i started going to like uh motivational seminars like i went to uh, actually um actually helped put on um dell carnegie institute stuff mm-hmm. and they'd ask me to come i was just a guy like filming and they'd be like we want you to come back and help because you're so motivated it was like interesting it was an interesting time frame um i was trying whatever i could you know, I'd, have, I'd done a lot of different things. I'd applied and gotten a job at Bob Dolan's office. You know, I'd done, yeah. I'd done a lot. Of, at the time, everybody wanted to try and get in there. You know, it was like one of those things. Right. Um, and uh, nothing was really popping off for me. Nothing was really, like, gelling. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just like, man, just, just go after the thing in front of you right now. Just keep going. Just keep going. I think that motivate. you know, knowing that I had a son on the way, um, or, you know, child at the time later on, we figured we knew it was, it was going to be a boy, but, um, was, was, I think that that was the, that was the motivational material, man. Like yeah. having something outside you, you know, where you can, where you, whether it's, you know, whether it's your, your children or your parents or somebody that's sick or you having that motivational thing really helped me like push through a lot of the negativity that had been, right. that, that, yeah i always say to my patients and people that 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 i work with on informally coaching is that you know if your why is big enough the reason why you can persevere through anything right right. it's just got to be big you know and having a having a child on the way that that's a big why that's a really big why i was 40 years old so it was like what what <laughs> right. we start having kids late so yeah i hear you they're gonna be getting out of high school and be turning 60 <laughs> so I, I think I, I think for a lot of listeners hearing how you got into the military um it it's a pretty unique experience and yeah. i think a lot of people would want to know you know we, we start to see some access points into the military, some job offers being mm-hmm. um, uh, listed now. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what that process was like and, and how yeah. you eventually got there? Because when we spoke before, you said it wasn't an easy process. No, no, it's very, it's very complicated and convoluted. Um, it's probably changed a little bit. The websites have changed and, you know, access, being able to submit stuff online is a little easier. This was in 2012. And so it was eight years ago. And, you know, while technology was still decent, it wasn't as robust as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, I had, the, I had the ability to be able to go down to the regional VA office in Denver. So that was easy. Mm-hmm. So I was able to go down there and actually talk to people and get documents I, I needed, excuse me. Um, whereas now you can just get them online. It's really easy. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a tough, had to, you had to learn, you have to learn the process. So one of the processes, and if they haven't, they probably haven't changed this yet, is that you have to, when you, if there's a reg that comes through, like usajobs.gov is where you usually apply for these jobs. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. You can put a filter on there and have them send you emails like saying acupuncturist. Some of them come back for chiropractors, you know, so you got to weed through the ones. Um, I know now they're opening ones for in the VA. So the VA is now a lot of people confuse the military with the VA, but DOD is, you know, army, air force, Navy, Marines, mm -hmm. and VA is VA. They're two different departments within the government. Um, I worked in the military side, so I worked in the DOD. I now work at work as a vendor. Our business is a vendor for the VA. So that's different. Okay. Um, but the VA is now opening jobs actually like GS, I think 11 to 13. Uh, most of them are coming in at 12s. So I think a supervisor is at 13, very similar to what the chiropractic, they just follow the chiropractic model. Right, right. Um, but it was tough, man. You get it. So you put in the resume, you submit it, and you do all the jump through all the hoops they ask you to jump through and do all the documents, and you hope and pray because there's no contact point. You can't call anybody up. Right. And then um, I found out how I got selected. So. Okay. <laughs> I went through a process down in San, for the San Antonio office and it, it was taking forever. They were just slow. And then my kid was going to be born. So I was like, Hey, can we take a break on this? And the guy was like, yeah, sure. No problem. Let's call us back. All right. Okay. So I called him back a month after my son was born. Um, so a couple month break on it. And he's like, yeah, we're the process here. Ready to go. Let's do all this documentation. And what had happened was the, the clinic, the clinic out here, at Eisenhower and uh, Eisenhower hospital in Georgia, um, they had gotten my stuff and the practice, the practitioner there, he ended up telling me how I got hired. So there was a guy in front of me and they were trying to get him and he used, he was a ex Navy seal. Mm -hmm. So he was working out at, um, as an acupuncturist out at, uh, camp Pendleton. Mm -hmm. What he was doing is he used this job to leverage himself and get a higher paying position in, at the facility he was already working at. I was the second on the stack, so they called me up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's like, and here's the best part about it. So I go, I jump through all these soups, and I got to drive 90 miles, 90 miles down to uh, Fort Carson from Denver. It's not very close. It's, it's pretty, pretty far away. I do that three times. I have to go down there um, and uh, do a physical, then do some like meet with people like psychological accounts, all this, you know, all the stuff they do for hiring, right, right. drug tests, your fingerprint at the, at the, you know, the cop st station and all that stuff. Um, and then they lost my fingerprints. Oh, gosh. And the guy who was doing it was like, and they're like, you now the person, the rep that's like hiring you was out of Alabama actually. So, so it, nobody's near each other. So she, she's like, kind of become a little intimate with my case and she's I was like look this guy left his position and didn't forward the stuff on tell his butt to get back in well he's on leave I'm like he was a government employee right he didn't do his job make him do his job and she's like you know what you're right <laughs> so she called him up had him go and he went in from leave did his stuff I knew he would because I talked to this guy and I could tell he was a super professional what had happened is he got promoted and just went to the next thing and everybody slacked and didn't pick up his slack. So he went back, found my fingerprints, forwarded it to her. She had an offer letter on the table for me. Um, two hours later, an email in my box. And this was after we'd done a bunch of negotiations and stuff. Okay. They closed seven hours later, they closed hiring for a full year for the US government. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So you, were, you were very fortunate to, to get in there when you did. 
But I, I was fortunate because I made my own fortune. I was aggressive in nature. I'd gone through the singer course. Even though I'd failed, I'd done singer. You know, I did $8,500, did the whole thing, went uh -huh. to some meetings, did it, got coaching, all that stuff. Failed, failed. But the one thing I learned was you gotta be, you gotta be more businesslike. Like get the stuff done. Go and so I, I was like, I'd worked for the military. I've been around the military my whole life. I know how it works. Right. It doesn't work like most people think. Like you can make, you can tell people to do stuff and they'll do it because they have to do it. It's their job. And so that's what I did. And so it helped. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was definitely an experience. Well, you know what I found really impressive uh, about your time with the, the in the military and and also being a physician in the military too, um, is that you worked in an integrated clinic and yeah. I, I was kind of surprised by that when I, I, that they're putting resources in, in a integrative type of environment. They're having multi different, uh, modalities in one area. Could you tell a little bit about what, what that kind of structure is like and, and how open-minded and is this like an exception or is this, a trend that's happening in the military? Um, I think it's um, basically what it was, is a, it was a federal program that they put together, they did some testing, they looked at a lot of different alternative medicines. This was back in 08, you can find the paperwork. Mm -hmm. um, and then in 09, they, just, they, just, they finished a study, the study said that there was a couple different modalities they wanted to use, uh, medical massage, chiropractic, um, acupuncture, and I think Reiki might have been in there. Maybe they threw that out. I can't remember. Um, and so they, they designed these clinics, and it was federally funded from, like, Congress. So when I got hired, we got, I was hired under basically, like, federal grant money. And the hospital had nothing really to do with us. So we took over. We had half of a wing, half of a floor on Sixth Floor East in Eisenhower. And I had a couple rooms to work there. And what it was, it was pretty cool. Like, we had, like, I mean, integrated meetings. There was... Um, they put together a three week, a three week, uh, intensive outpatient program where, you know, units would sign off and patients would come there from all around that region, um, different military bases, some from Fort Gordon where, you know, Eisenhower is, but some from like Texas and we had Delta force guys come down from Bragg and trying to rehab their injuries. Some of them were severe injuries like amputations. Some of them were just back pain. And then what we did is we would like treat these troops like one after and it was interesting because they'd set a schedule for them and they'd ask us, what do you want to do? Like, how do you want to treat them? And we're just like, we'll keep it as easy as possible. You know, like, you know, once every day, you know, a couple times a week is fine. And they're like, okay. So we would do that during the three weeks. Um, and we, you, they would literally like walk from my office or from the chiropractor's office, literally straight across the hall. I'd be standing there waiting for them. I'd say, hey, what's up? They walk over, they get set, they come over, get acupuncture, they go from me to medical massage, or that I've actually treated patients that straight from surgery walk over to my room. Oh, that's awesome. And get treated. And so you get to see what works and what doesn't. Like, you know, somebody's legs numbed out, acupuncture doesn't work on that side very well, you know, yeah, especially yeah. for pain. Right, um, right. So things like that. It was very, I get to go up on like recovery wards and night floor and treat patients so you get to see what, what's practical and what's not like if you're trying to do anything on their body it's pretty much like hard to get to nurses are moving around people are moving you know they were very open-minded to it especially mm -hmm. the nurses they were really, always like wow this is cool right um 
our, our clinic was specifically hired. I mean, so the clinic I worked in IPMC, Interdisciplinary Pain Management Center in Eisenhower, it, at its highest point, um, it had MDs, P, uh, MDs, DO, a um, lot of nurses, LPNs, RNs, um, uh, CNAs. Um, we had, um, let's see, PT, PT OT, um, OTA, PTA, uh, DCs, medical massage therapy, um, nurse practitioner, PA. I mean, you name it. I've worked alongside of them. That's great. Um, so one of the things I, I think I got from that was just like, they're people. They're doing their art just like you. They're trying their best, and they don't always succeed. So that's that that uh, that idea that like Western medicine, because when we go to school, it's kind of separated, right? Like we're like we do our own thing, and it's like Western medicine's over here. And to be honest with you, it shouldn't be that way. You know, it should be like right about the patients. So now, from that experience working in an integrative clinic, did you feel like? that was the solution for care as far as when a patient comes in there that the power of having all these different modalities together did that impact you in any profound way um in some way shape or form it it i think molded me to understand that that our stuff won't always work um that there is no like better medicine but what it from my perspective, it allowed me to see what the different medicines are, are good at. And, um, you know, it got me to see that like, you know, drug use for most chronic things is probably not a good idea, you know, like pharmacology. And I would sit there and have conversations with our clinical pharmacist and literally he would take people, like his job was to take people off drugs. And I would, I would kid him. I'd be like, man, you're the worst drug dealer in the world. <laughs> He'd just be like, don't say that, man. Don't say that. <laughs> but it's so true. Even like people come in with 12 meds. He's like, I can't even start to figure out where the interactions are. Right. But there's definitely some bad ones. Let's figure out what you actually need and put you on that. And I've actually recently, actually, I've been out of there for two and a half years. I send him patients still. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. So, cause some of these people have TRICARE and they can get in there. So, yeah. And he just recently sent me a patient, which was kind of cool <laughs> to our clinic here. Yeah. Well, that's the way that it should work. Right. Yeah. So, but, uh, but in terms of the integrative model, I don't, for, for getting the patient better, it was too much. It was like so much thrown at them. Like, I don't think their body really had a time to, uh, to absorb any of it. You know, it was just like, okay, if that doesn't work. It wasn't like, okay, let's, dive deeper in this area it was like did acupuncture work in five treatments no okay well then it's not gonna work for him moving them off like, what the yeah <laughs> that's that's really interesting so you can't tell what works and you're doing a shotgun method um so that's a very interesting point right one there. of the reasons i left is because i was getting complacent to be honest my my treatments were becoming rote i was doing the same treatments on everybody even if they i was just like what am i doing like this isn't how i do the medicine i felt like i was doing a disservice to all that hard work i'd put in and all my teachers that taught me and you know lineages and stuff and all that respect and and and, and i had you know i had a little son and i was like and then my daughter was born a couple years after that and so i was like you know i don't want to I don't want to grow old and I don't want to teach these kids that, you know, I right. want to teach them that you go out and you work hard and you try and make a difference. And I wasn't, 
the first two years I was there, I felt like I was doing that. And then after that, it just kind of felt real. So, so let me ask you a question here. So now you've had some time to sit. Now you've, you've let the, the past kind of sit and settle, right? Mm -hmm. understanding you had two clinics before you had bankruptcies there you can mm -hmm. kind of look to see well you know why did my clinics fail you know mm -hmm. generally speaking if something fails it's a person in the mirror that you're looking at oh, yeah. that it is the culprit right yeah. so now you, you say okay I'm ready to turn the page and start my own private practice yet again uh -huh. now with you and your headspace how you know, this was this is three years ago so this is yeah. so you have now a whole list of experiences in your under your 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 belt now to bring forward to a new practice right. how, what was you, what was your headspace here as far as how are you going to do things differently what were the fundamental mistakes that you made before and how you were gonna to do things differently this time okay so that's a good question um, Maybe not an easy answer, but <laughs> let's see. So the main, the main reason why I feel like I, fe I felt like I failed when I started my first practice in Virginia was because I didn't stay, I really wasn't focused on, I'm putting a practice here, this is what I'm doing, and I'm going to go do it hell or high water. I was just kind of dabbling. I was like, okay, let's move up to this town and let's move around here and let's go and start a clinic in Richmond. And I've never lived in Richmond in my life and it's a whole different place than Hampton Roads, Virginia. And so I was like, what are you doing, dude? So then we closed that clinic down, we moved down, then we moved back for like family reasons to Colorado. And it was just like, I'm like, I was just like bouncing around. Right. Um, and I could have done that here. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, Augusta, Georgia is not like, super um uh there's not a lot of, i mean it's not like super exciting place to live unless you like right. golf so. right um but i think when i first moved out i think once i started learning some of the business side um and i'd failed i was still i still used those business skills to negotiate a higher salary when i started at the military job which most people don't realize you can do right so I was able to come in, they, they offered this. I said, okay, that's great. I'd like to leverage this job off this job because I got two of them and, mm -hmm. and get paid more. And they went, okay, mm -hmm. we'll pay you more. And so I was like, wow, that's cool. So when I came out of here, immediately I'm like thinking business all the time. I got to think money. I'm like, I, my whole mindset has shifted yeah. during that time frame. And it wasn't really like I was like, I'm going to be rich. Like I want to be a millionaire. It was just like, how do I survive? You know? Right, right, right. And so once I was surviving, you know, and I, we bought, I bought my first house and, um, we you know the VA loan and had a job for five years, I realized I still was broke. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm, I'm like, I'm sacrificing a lot of things. And I would see all my peers, like they go to these great seminars and mm -hmm. they travel. And I'm like, I can't do that. I have to take leave, you know, and they're not paying for me to go do this stuff. Right. So it's kind of like, I felt like I was missing the boat, man. Mm -hmm. And so I decided, so during that whole five years, I was constantly like in touch with people. Like I never stopped. Like I was like, Hey, how's your practice doing? You know, my good friend, Gene Healy, like I've been friends with him poker buddies when we went to college. So it was like, yeah, 
I talked to him. He's like, doing great. I'm like, great. I get off the phone. I feel depressed for a week because he was doing so great. <laughs> <laughs> Misery loves company. And if there's yeah, not that like, company. Yeah, like, shit. Like, he's like, killing it. I'm stuck over in this job. So I look for anything positive about the job. I work for the military. And people are like, yeah, whatever. Who cares? Uh-huh. So, um, but so when I went into it, it was a step-by-step manner. Like I realized, I was like, okay, let's, let's start it out of, I talked with friends and you know colleagues and stuff, and we ended up starting the clinic out of a chiropractic friend of mine. I actually just went to get set this morning from her. Um, she'd been treating my kids for a couple of years, and and basically she just let us use it for free when she wasn't there. Gave us the key, gave us the alarm system, like like start, go for it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. So we did that, and I didn't quit my job. You know, I. Worked 40 hours a week, and then Friday evening, I get off at four. I drive there and start treating five o'clock to seven, and then we treat from ten to one the next day on Saturday morning. And we bring every we bring the kids with us. We're just like my wife would come. We'd serve, you know, shadows on tea, and just do the best we could. And our business it started growing, and I was like, wow, I can pay the bills. And I was like, oh, I can more than pay the bills. Like, what's going on here? And so. When we went to do it, the mindset was, I was going to succeed no matter what. Like, I was just going to make this work. Like, I'd failed before, but I'm going to make this work. Like, there was this mindset of, like, I'm not failing anymore. I don't care. If I got, you want me to hard sell somebody? I'll do it. What are you, so I just ask my, my mentors, and they tell me what to do, and I just do it. Mm-hmm. Even if it sounded, like, ridiculous. I'm like, really? You want me to do that? They're like, just do it. See what happens. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I did it and everything kept working and I'd take advice from everybody back then I didn't have just one mentor I had bunches of them you know mm-hmm. um and so it just kept working man yeah and I find for for myself included and for a, a lot of a lot of people that I talk to is that you know we try to figure it out ourselves mm-hmm we kind of stumble along and, you know, maybe we'll graduate from school Mm -hmm. and we'll have a peer group that we're friends with and we'll, because we we have a comfort level with them. And it's like, well, you know, how are you doing this? How are you doing that? Right. And uh, I just found that if people find mentors, coaches and do what they did or what are best practices, then they can really skyrocket their, their practice quickly. Right. So when we're talking, a question for you on this, when we're talking about the start phase, when you're starting this up, you know, you're, you're focused, you, you know mm-hmm. what you want, you're, you've got your why is big, you're not going to fail, right? So, and you have your voices in your ear of people that are telling you what to do, right? Mm-hmm. What was your focus as far as with patients in order to get them in the door for, you know, when you were starting this clinic, how did you get new people in the door? What, how did you bring them in? So the, the main way we did it is I built a small website. Um, and then I just started using Google express AdWords express ads back then they worked, um, six months later they didn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, then we had to find a different way, but it, it allowed us, I'd be sitting at the office and Nicole would text me and be like, we just got two new patients. And I'm like, what? Like I'm at work at my military job and I'd be getting new patients from this. And I was like, this is awesome. And we did free consultation back then. We don't do that now. 
Um, we, we charge like 49 bucks or something, but, um, so it kind of weeds people out, but we, I just want, I didn't care. If you just want to talk about acupuncture, come in. Like you want to be a patient, come in. Mm -hmm. So like, I didn't care. If you had insurance, come in, I'm going to sell you anything. So, like, <laughs> I just, I believed in the whole idea of like, you know, the big, the big companies when they open a store, they don't, they just like, they basically lose money to get foot traffic in. Right. 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 So that's what I wanted to do. I, was, I wasn't going to lose money, but I was just like, just get every, anybody in I can. I don't care if they're the right fit. I don't care if they're the right patient. And I'll do that now. But I wanted to get like a, build a critical mass. So we did that the first month, June, we opened up a couple weeks, um, made a couple, you know, a couple hundred bucks. July, we made like a thousand. And then I think in August, we made like 7,000. Nice. It was like, what the hell's going on here, man? Like we're just cranking it now. And that was when me and my mentors looked at it and said, okay, maybe this is the time to move on. Maybe this is the right, if I wait six months, what am I going to benefit from that? And so I had to really think it through. I called my dad. He's like, so what's the worst that could happen? And it's a question I use to this day. Like he said, what's the worst thing that could happen? I said, well, I could lose my house. If I go, you know, if I lose the, if I don't have any income, he said, okay, then what? Well, then I'd have to go live in an apartment. And he's like, yep. Can you deal with that? And I had to really look at myself and go, that's the worst that happens? <laughs> oh, okay. And so then I was like, I presented it to my wife. I don't do anything on my own. I make all decisions with her. Yeah. She's part owner, half owner of the business and does a lot of, is an integral part of growing this business. And I believe without her, I could not have done it mm -hmm. at the pace we did for many different reasons. But, um, Anyways, um, that idea that we put this fear in our head, like, oh, what if, what's going to happen? Yeah, what is going to happen? And actually ask yourself that question. What's the worst possible thing that could happen? Mm -hmm. And so I did, and I went, oh, that's not so bad. And then I thought about it, and I woke up one day and just went, let's do it. And so then I, you know, my mind's like, good, let's do it. Because mm -hmm. we weren't happy where we were. And if we just stayed there, we weren't going to be any happier, you know, in the situation we were financially and things like that. So at that point, I didn't really like working at the military job. So I was kind of becoming bitter. And I was like, this isn't good for anybody, for myself. Um, so I, uh, I, 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 I liquidated. I, when I left the military job, I wanted to go with something. So I was able to keep my 401k. That um, was hard to do. I had to pay it off at the end of the year. I went into 2018 with 450 bucks in my pocket. <laughs> but, I, but I was like, I'm coming away with something here. Yep. Um, but I had to liquidate my pension, dropped $11,000 in the business and just go for it and hope it worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it was just like, so I was running on basically fear the first year, at least, um, hand to mouth. Like, are we going to make this work? Is the next month going to pan out? Are we going to do that? Are we heading in the right direction? What are we doing? Here? Mm -hmm. So what kind of self-talk did you have in order to to move up, uh, one foot in front of the other. I mean, fear can be paralyzing. Yeah. So when I was 13, I went to Tony, Tony Robbins had been in doing his speaking engagements for now I'm 47. So do the math. So when I was 13. I, I was in Hawaii, lived in Hawaii at the time growing up. And, um, Tony Robbins did, was in his second year of teaching and I had the opportunity. My dad threw, brought me to one of his events 
and I did a, a 10 foot fire, or 10, whatever yeah. it is, fire walking. The fire was 13. So it really made, I think, a big impact in what I do this day, like having that. And my dad was really always into that stuff, like always having me read books, like, you know, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior and all these things back in, I was a kid in the early mid 80s. And so I was seeing a lot of these different ways to think. And I would put that into my athletics back then. So, for instance, in 10th grade, I ran track one year, went to state, and got bored and quit and raced 10 speeds against George Hincapie and all those guys back then. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. So, <laughs> so it was like, you know, um, but anyways, um, I think I've always just kind of been like, if I want to succeed at something, I'm going to go do it. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people who go to acupuncture school are like that. They just have to find that right. way to push themselves in that direction. I remember when that fear would come up and, and, and it's something, you know, we, we spoke before that mm-hmm. fear is every time you reach a new level or you're trying mm-hmm. a new thing in practice, that fear comes up and <laughs> it, it, it's, it's kind of funny and yeah. it's more of a, a discipline of addressing that frequently and then getting over it. Yeah. And one of the things that, that I do is I, I make sure that I, I'm a cyclist. I, I do, um, a lot of physical things. I do martial arts as well. Mm-hmm. I always find something that's a really a stretch for me, but something that pales to what I do, that it makes that what I do in clinic seem easy. Like, oh, right, right. What? Right. I just have to do an ad or do a video where I am very uncomfortable about and I, or a podcast for them. <laughs> and, okay. Well, I'm going to do a century on my bike and r- ride a hundred miles then, uh, you know, yeah, I saw you like, did that. That's the congrats on that. Bike. Right. Right. So it's like, okay, well, you know, doing that video is not so bad as, as a hundred miles on the bike. Right. Yeah. It's pretty hard. So it's, <laughs> you know, doing that, that, that those other challenges other where it, outside of the clinic, I think really helps inside of the clinic as well. Yeah. Um, great stuff. I love that. Um, so another question for you. So now we're into to your practice, your new practice. Mm-hmm. When did you start to get profitable? Right away. Right away. <laughs> yeah. We've, it's been like, all, so people are like, well, he's just a one-off. No, I failed at two clinics. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Like I failed. Um, so I did a lot of research before I put down, you know, before we started to open here, it wasn't like, I just like, Oh, I want to live in Seattle. I'm going to go start a clinic there. No, like I was here already for five years. I knew the area. I knew what areas to put a clinic in. I knew where not to put a clinic. I knew what type of people live here. I know how to deal with the people here. The people here are different than anywhere else I've ever lived. And I've lived all over the United States from Kansas city to Hawaii to Virginia. So it's, they're very aggressive here. Um, if you act super nice, you're going to get rolled over a lot here. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it being able to, but you still got to be like a nice person, right? So how do you do that? And so we've gone through all those things. Um, sorry, what was the question again? So when, when you were profitable very shortly and you're not a one-off, you did your research, you yeah. looked at the demographics of the area, you knew the mindset yeah. of who you needed to how to present yourself to the people that live there, right? So, so what, I, what I did was when I came out, which I hadn't done before, I took on this business as a business, not a health clinic, not an acupuncture clinic. I went, what do regular businesses like a sandwich shop, like Subway do? They advertise, right? 
-hmm. they put up they put up bulletin boards they do all of you know all those things so i was like that's what we're doing i want to take ads out in this i knew that in order to succeed if you read business week or newsweek or any of these things that like business magazines right wall street journal you're gonna read you're gonna i've been reading business week before bloomberg bottom for like 17 years and if you make a margin of like 1% in a big corporation, it's a big deal. Like it's right. like a huge deal because their monies are so big. So it was like, but they have to advertise. Why does Nike have to advertise so much? Why does Coca-Cola, they're already huge, right? Because mm -hmm. people's attention spans are short. You know, even if they like bought Nike for years, unless they're a fanatic, they're going to be like, oh, well this Reebok one looks cooler now. I'm going to, I'm going to buy that instead. Right. UFC's using Reebok or whatever, you know? So, I just looked at everything I was doing business as a business person, not as an acupuncturist. Right. I, I looked at it as like, I have to be an, a business person first. My skills will be good enough. Mm -hmm. Were they? Hell no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've gotten better since I've been in the two years that I see so many patients now and you know, I'd gotten complacent. So I realized my skills weren't at the level I wanted them. One of the reasons I started this business. So I actually got, I'm better now than I was before my patients get better and healthy and faster. But, you know, I just told myself it's good enough for now. Let's move forward. Let's focus on, if we're not getting patients in, why not? And address those and put in systems around me so that the systems take the brunt of the work instead of me and my staff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Great, great. So one of the, the title of, of this podcast is a, a clear path to success. Mm -hmm. for your professional development, right? So mm -hmm. going into your clinic, did you have in your mind, you know, setting up a clinic and going through the steps were basically attracting, converting, and retaining patients that come in the clinic. Mm -hmm. um, and we have marketing mechanisms on the traction side, converting, mm -hmm. we have great systems, great talks, report of findings, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like your mapping was solid and clear going into your clinic or do you feel like that was something that, that you had to stumble upon or you had a plan in place and you just needed to research it and then execute? So that's a good question. Um, there was kind of a plan. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really like, if I look back at it now, like where we're at now is way, way ahead. And like, I feel, I, I see more deficiencies now in the business, even though it's like, I can come in feeling like crap and treat 30 patients in a day and we're only here six hours. Right. So, you know, it's like, oh wow, like the systems are working. Um, but I think it was a step-by-step -step process. Like knowing that I wanted to have a, I had to have a vision. I knew that I had to have a, five and 10 year plans. I knew I needed, to, and I was going through, I was getting my doctorate, uh, the DACM from PCOM at the time. And so I was, I would work here until eight 30 at night, drive home or seven 30 or whatever it was, be home by eight, five till eight and be on a web, be on a live webinar for till 11 30 at night. I would do that two days a week, you know, and some of the, and then, you know, by Wednesday I'd be burned. <laughs> mm -hmm. But but I think, you know, like some of the classes had us doing a five and 10 year. So it was like, and then when I started working with some of my mentors, they're like, do you have a plan? And what do you want to, what do you want to do in five or 10 years? I'm like, I already did that. How about that? It's right there. So it was like a lot of the, so I look back at it and go, 
I undertook all this stuff. You know, a mentor of mine was like, why are you doing school right now? You don't need the doctor. Just open the business. I said, well, I know I do because in this area, the area I'm, at, I'm in, in Augusta, Georgia, there's an area probably of a half a million people and it's spread out over a bunch of counties. It's not like concentrated in a major area. Um, I mean, there's a concentration, but it's spread out. These are, this is like the, 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 the census area is actually half in South Carolina and half in Georgia. So it's one of those weird towns. Um, there's a North Augusta, South Carolina, let's put it that way. So, um, the, uh, what were, what were you talking about again? So your, basically your doctorate was necessary for that area. Yes. So I said to myself, oh, I was getting asked by doctors. Hey, I'm going into business. They're like, are you a doctor? I went, no, I'm not an MD. And they said, no, do you have your doctorate in your field? And I went, oh, no. And they're like, well, call us when you do. Because we'll do business with you. They literally will not, like, it is something in the MD field where they will not even talk to you respect, unless, you're an, unless you have your doctorate. So they'll, they'll like, respect, they respect the doctorate. I don't know, it's a weird thing. I didn't know, I didn't understand it until I worked in the military and in the hospital or right. like deal with MDs. But so I had to do that. And so but when I look at it, even when I was going through it at the time, I'm like, it kept me super focused. Man. And mm -hmm. even though the classes weren't, specifically about business and most of the people teaching them aren't good at business it still kept me focused on even if they were saying something i didn't agree with it allowed me to focus on what i need to do for my business to be successful right right right, right. that's great that's great yeah i think the doctorate it can definitely serve a purpose and it is clear in your area it does serve that purpose here's a, here's a here's a trick i do anything i encounter no matter what it is I look at it, even if it's a fail, and I say, how can I benefit from this to make my life better? Mm -hmm. All the time. Like, I've been doing this, like, I didn't do this for my whole life, but since, like, at least 20, like, my, my kids were conceived, I've been thinking that way. I'm like, what do I, how do I, how do I, and I took the, the lessons I learned when I was a kid, right? And, and now I see people going to all these seminars, right? These Tony Robbins and right. Michael Bernhaus and stuff like that. And it's like, that's great, because you will learn a lot of stuff from those type of places, you know? Yeah, and I think that that's such a huge takeaway for everybody that's listening is, is to reframe failure, mm -hmm. to reframe fear, reframe that emotion that comes up. Because, you know, basically, if you are pushing and challenging yourself, emotion will come up. And it might be right. unique to you, but to say, Hey, listen, it looks like it's a growth period for me that, that I'm going to be growing my practice that I'm stretching myself out. Fear is okay. Fear is propelling. Uh, let's move through it. Right. right. And I, I think that is so huge. And also failure, you know, if it's not that you failed and in school, we get an A, B, C, or D, you know, <laughs> whatever. And it's, it's well known that most successful entrepreneurs were B and C students. Right. Right, but that fire in the belly and persevering when times get tough and the big why is huge. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, mean, I think that's such a huge takeaway, and we can and I can see that all in your story there that that your why was big and and how your mindset and and how you were looking at these these challenges that were coming up was um it was really beneficial to yeah. getting you where you're at right now. I mean, fears. I guess fear has been, always been in my life. There's been a huge bit of fear in my life, my whole life. I mean, my parents mm -hmm. split when I was nine years old and I was the man of the house. Nine. What the fuck? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Looking back on it, that's not right. You know, that's not, right. that's not what I want for my kids. But it's like, 
you know, and I was running through airports. My, my, my dad lived in Hawaii. My mom lived in Virginia. We lived with my mom. So like I'd be running through airports at 11 years old with my brother. And the first time we did it, um, they, you know, they chaperoned us and sit in this like room in the back and watch like some welcome back Carter on this little small TV. And I'm like, this is boring. Like I want to walk through the airport on my own. So I told my dad, I said, if you ever do the chaperone thing again, I'm not coming to see you. So they would sign off on it. Back then they let you do that. Nowadays, like they, they chaperone you and all that stuff. But, right. um, but it was like I, just running through Dallas, Fort Worth with my brother and make a 30 minute flight, you know, I'm not flight in 30 minutes. Like, <laughs> like, just like, come on, we got to make this happen, man. We got to right. make this happen. And right. so I just, I've always had that jumping out of airplanes. I was a paratrooper for the U S army back in the mid nineties. My first jump, I had door position. So I stood in the door, looked out and went, Oh, those are trees down there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then they're like, they're like, they're like, they tell you, you don't, you don't know, you don't know what, you don't know what's going to happen. It's a voluntary thing, right? You go to school, you go to yeah. this jump school is three weeks long. First week's, ground week you get you jump off this thing and beat yourself up second week's tower week you know you jump out of these like 34 foot towers and kind of mock simulate um and then the third week's ju jump week where you jump out of airplanes and you do one jump a day for five days you get five jumps and you graduate and so the first jump you're like i don't know am i gonna freeze in the door am i gonna lock up i don't know what's gonna happen like you don't know and they tell you that they're like you don't know but just do these things and you'll be safe and went, okay. So you do them and you hope that you're okay. And so it turns out, you know, I just, dude hit me on the back to jump and I took off, man. <laughs> I was like, go. Right, you know? right, right. I and still you, remember you, that first jump. You trusted, yeah, and you trusted what others told you to do that were experts yeah. in the area and you went with it. That's all you can do. I mean, right? and I watched like lieutenants like fail because they mm -hmm. couldn't overcome their fear. You know, they couldn't, it's stupid. Why would you jump out of an airplane? This makes no sense. Like it's mm -hmm. not a normal thing to do, right? So you're pushing yourself into a realm that's like, you don't have to do this. You can quit at any moment too. Right. So then I, I stayed four years airborne. You have to jump every three months. You know, I ended up with 26 jumps, German jump wings, jump with the Germans, like all kinds of cool stuff, right? Got pinned, I got blood wings on Sicily drop zone at Fort Bragg from a German general, dude. It's right. freaking cool. Right. That's awesome. It's like my coolest story in the Army. But, uh, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. But, um, but, but overcoming those fears. I mean, recently Kobe Bryant passed away, right? Right. And I, think, and I read a lot of stories from other professional athletes. Even him and what he did and his mentors, like his mentor, one of his mentors, big mentors was Michael Jordan. And being able to overcome all these fears like when he got injured, like helping other athletes when they got injured, like Richard Sherman, he was a big – uh, proponent, you know, he he called Kobe Bryant. That's the same Achilles tendon injury. He hobbled off the field just like Kobe Bryant did. He did that on. He, I read an article. He did that on purpose because he wanted to show the world, I'm still got fire in my belly. And he said that when he called Kobe Bryant up, what the first thing Kobe Bryant asked him was, "Are you being a baby? Mm -hmm. Like, is this really that? Is it real? Are you just getting old? Because Sir Richard Sherman's, you know, he's he's close to retirement now. He was just in the Super Bowl." Right. He lost, right. but you know, he, he's out there doing his thing at the high level, at the highest level he's ever done it at still. Mm -hmm. And so having those people around you, man, like, I think that's the only way you can really be successful. If you try right. and do this or any of anything like where you're pushing yourself in, 
in and past your fear zone or into a fear zone you haven't experienced before and you don't have people or systems or something to guide you, you are probably going to fail. Right. That leads us into our last question for today. Mm-hmm. So being where you're at in practice and, you know, one thing that we didn't talk about is how quickly within three years of having your, your, mm-hmm. your practice. Now you're in the 1% of uh, revenue uh, earners right. in our profession. Right. So I don't think that that got across before, but I think it's no. worth noting and we'll keep it for the end of the podcast. That way everybody has to listen to the whole thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so what I like to, you know, with my last question to you is leaving this interview today, what advice would you give to new practitioners or um, people that are stuck at, at a plateau? Um, what parting words would, would you give these listeners? Yeah, let me, um, let me, uh, so I'll explain. Do you, do you mind, mind me explaining where our business is and where it came from? Where it's not, at? not at all. Not at all. Okay. So some people have a problem with talking about their numbers and I don't, I don't really care. Um, um, you can come here and be a competition with me if you want, but I wouldn't suggest it. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, you do your thing. I'll do mine. I mean, it's going to work out either way. I have, uh, anyways, so we built from basically nothing to the first year we did a quarter mil and this last year we did over, we did almost 600,000 in gross. Um, that's using for the majority, only two people working here a front desk and me. So, um, and we're growing so fast, like I actually need to hire people and it's really tough to hire people in this area because there's no acupuncturist here. So I'm having different issues than some people have when it comes to hiring, but, um, so we grew like astronomically fast, like so fast. Like, I didn't know, I don't even know how we kept it all together to be honest with you. But cause we had to like constantly put new systems in place. Like, Oh, this is not working. We're using square. That's not working. Let's move over to another practice management system. Okay. Then we got to figure out how to do that. Well, we're running at hundred miles an hour, you know, we're changing tires at hundred miles an hour. And I think the key, to, the key for me has been, you better not be scared of working. Mm-hmm. Like you need to work hard, like work smart. But if you think smart's going to overcome hard work, it's not mm-hmm. like you need to show up every day. Even when you don't feel good, treat your patients the best you can that day. Maybe it's not the best you ever did, but it's the best you can that day. Right. Right. Like just showing up and really putting in. That's what I stress on all my employees. Like, don't be late. Like let's, let's, let's respect this. You know, we built something that's unique. And that's how I looked at it the whole time, the whole time. You know, I'd take three hour drives to, I went to Ikea eight times to furnish this place, you know, over like a year. It's like, it's a three hour drive each way, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, I think that yeah. is, that is so, so important. What you just said right there, you know, to keep that fire and yeah, to do whatever it takes and this is not my job is the wrong thing to say is oh. just make whatever needs to happen happen exactly yeah and you can't think you get can't it done. think that way yeah there's no way um you just gotta think that every job's yours now if you're getting burnt out and you're doing too many of them it's still your job 
but get somebody else to do it. Right, right? exactly. Like hire exactly. somebody and make sure they're doing it right. Like, okay, they're doing, you know, maybe you don't have to check on them every day. You know, if you've gotten a good, if you think they're doing a good job, like, okay, well, I'll check on you every week. And, but it's still your job. You're the right. business owner. Right. Everything is your job. Yes, that is very true. <laughs> so, and it's like, well, why would I give that up? Why would I give up a job making $90,000 a year plus benefits, you know, equating out to about $115,000 a year to do this? And I'll tell you why. Because I did not feel free. I did not feel like there was any opportunity for me five to 10 years down the road. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like the sky's the limit. Like our goal is, to, is for me to be out of this clinic in two years and opening a clinic in South Carolina. Love it. I love it. Well, with that being said, I think there's a couple things to note here. Uh, I think that you have a job opening coming up really soon, if not available now. Um, (laughs) For our listeners, is there a way, a a good way to contact you? Yes. uh, You can go to our website, AugustaAcupuncturClinic.com. Most of our stuff's on there, and you can contact us through there. Our phone number is there, so you can give us a call. Perfect. Simple. I will put also that on a Facebook page, so you can go there too. Augusta Acupuncture. I'll put that in the show notes for today. And um, again, what I'd like to say is, is thank you so much for there is so much information here, and um, um, there's more to cover. There's more topics that we just did not have the time to. And I would love uh, to have you back on a future that would, show. That would be great. I would love that. Perfect. Well, Dr. Sherrell, thank you very much for your time and uh, we'll be in touch. All right, Rob, man. Thank, thank you, man. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. All right, brother. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you like the podcast, consider joining our Facebook group. Just search for Clear Path to Success Professional Development. Thank you all again. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.